sing today. Oh, mercy. Better be instant in season, out of season. From Acts chapter 15, the book of Acts that we love, that we go to so frequently. People ask me from time to time, I've got somebody on the line, so to speak, and I'm trying to tell them where they should start reading in their Bible. Book of Acts is always a good place to start. Amen. Acts chapter 15. The Bible said Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. What were they doing? Weren't fishing and hanging out in snow machine, and they were teaching and preaching. And the Bible said, and some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, let's go again and visit our brethren in every city. That's called follow-up. That's something that if you, in any business, especially retail, if you, if you lack in follow-up, you'll be reprimanded with great degree of regularity. Because, the, you know, you have to, if you're told, do ABC, and it slips out of your mind, the boss is going to come by and follow up on you, check up to see how you carried it out. Follow-up's good. And Paul said, let's go check on these people that had such a part in the chain along the way of revival. And let's visit every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. And Barnabas determined, he said, all right, that's good, but I want to take with me John, whose surname was Mark. Let's take John Mark with us. And the Bible said, but Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them, from Pamphylia, and went not with them. you got to catch that phrase. And he went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus. Hallelujah. And Paul chose Silas, and he left, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. Hallelujah. Amen. Brother, can you put that chapter up on the screen and continue another verse for me? Please, sir. Paul chose Silas. Barnabas takes Mark, and they go their separate ways. Amen. I am going to preach today from the last three words of this verse. And he went through Syria and Cilicia confirming the churches. Confirming the CEV is where I'm taking my title, encouraging the church, encouraging the church. Thank you, Lord God, for what you're doing today, for your mercy, your loving kindness, for your goodness, for your helping hand, for the direction, God, you are giving us every day. You're our compass, our charter, our counsel, and God will give you the praise for it, God. Let us be that which encourages the body, encourages the church, encourages the members, and we'll give you praise for it, God, in Jesus' mighty name. Look at somebody and say, I'm going to encourage the church today. God bless you. You may be seated. Looking forward to our meetings coming up this week and the next week, week and a half. Brother Churchill will be here, as you heard, sis announced. Then my cousin, 
Wednesday through Sunday. I'm excited about that. Her and I and my family, my wife and kids, have a lifetime of history with her. It, it'll just be good to, to get around the Word of God and do some good fellowship and praise the Lord. When I was, Sister Carlson, how old is your husband, 38, 39? All right, so when I was 25, I was the youth leader at her dad's church, and she was like a 10, 12-year-old kid, her and her brother and, and sister. So um, it's good to, good to have, be, be around people that have stuck it out and hung around. They haven't let the tides of the world pull them out. So good, so good. Now, the church in the book of Acts, the body of Christ, was at this place in its crossroads that it needed to make sure it made wise decisions, good choices. I've always wondered about the book of Romans when Paul said that all things work together for good, according to those that love the Lord, etc. But I, I wonder, does that mean all things like bad decisions? Bad choices, things that we do when we're not prayed up. Was Paul thinking about them when he said all things work together for good? Well, I'm just going to take it at surface value. All things means all things. That even though sometimes I mess the situation up in the moment, in the here and now, God's grace is going to work it all out before it's over, and even my mistakes are going to come out for God's glory's sake. Some people listen to the wrong voices. The devil said, you blew it in a real pressure-packed moment. You may as well just throw in the towel and run away. But you got to understand this. Even our mistakes, God turns into something that is going to bring him glory. You just can't quit. Don't run away. Historians tell us the body of Christ in Jerusalem had reached its high water mark. There were in excess of 100,000 church members in the church at Jerusalem. I don't even know how to pastor 200 very good. How do you do 100,000? You get one or two that take up all your time. What happens when you're one person over 100,000? Well, this is what had happened. They had this select few, this body of leadership, and then some Gentile has the nerve to believe that God's word will work for him just because he's, or it shouldn't exclude him just because he's not a Jew. So this Gentile believes the word of God, repents of his sins, gets water baptized in Jesus' name, receives the gift of the Holy Ghost, and he opens the floodgates of outsiders... And you know who gets upset about outsiders coming in? Insiders. Oh, it's Sunday morning, but I'm going I'm, I'm just going to roll with how I feel it this morning. The Gentile community floods into the body of Christ. They're excited about God. They're excited about what God is doing. They didn't know enough to know that they didn't belong. They just wanted to find a seat in the house of God and worship the Lord. It's never God's will for the forward motion of the church to be impeded, even delayed by confusion or doubt or unbelief or conflict 
or friction. I, I will never forget about, oh, 20 years ago over in the old sanctuary when I first preached from this text in Acts 15 about the Barnabas and uh, Paul fallout. I had a very concerned saint of God wait for me right down the middle aisle. Remember, we used to have just two aisles of seats. And I could tell they wanted to talk to me after church. And they, everybody visited and prayed. And they just stayed right there and followed me with their eyeballs. And afterwards, I, I motioned, well, okay, come on, what's up? And they come in and said, I'm just reading between the lines of your sermon today. Is there conflict in this church? I'm like, really? Really? Then I had to give him a little discourse on preaching right there. It's when God impresses you, inspires you through a text to expound, to extrapolate, to gather from it. You do it because you don't have to always have the reason why God tells you. And I told this concerned person, no, there's no problems. But I can see in your eye, you are the suspicious in nature. And so I brought them up to to uh, the level of common knowledge by saying, anytime you get more than two people together. So maybe God's trying to head something off, or maybe God's just trying to give you a little church history out of the book of Acts today. So save it, save it. If you're going to, oh, I got to talk to Pastor, what's going on in leadership here? Save it. This is called pastoring, all right? But it's not God's will for stuff to get between little things, minor details, to get between the will of God for our community, our congregation, and his plan to take us into greater depths and higher heights. The problem in Jerusalem, Brother Nathaniel, was more theological than it was personal interest or investment. These Jews thought... They alone had the seats closest to the throne of God, and no outsider belonged in their place. They thought they'd been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this by specific order and design of God's hand. Who are these outsiders? Who are these people? Gentiles in the church? problem was theological now. You got these people that are not bound by the law of Moses because they're not Hebrews. So what do we teach them? How do we disciple them? They've been born again. They've got the Holy Ghost. They've been water baptized. They've repented. They're living lives of change. How do we disciple them? Don't you know this today, church, that if we don't disciple converts, we lose converts. If we don't establish them in the word of God, we lose them. That special service where they came and repented and the energy was high and service was on fire and they repented and went in, down in the tank in Jesus' name and received the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's not the end of it. That's just the beginning of it. And it's, it behooves the body to realize now we've got to get something in them, some meat on their bones, some teaching in their mind. Some New Testament on their plate. So it was more theological than personal. What do we teach these men and women? 
They don't have to worry about Sabbath. The Sabbath was for the Jew. Ah. But discipleship becomes 100% necessary. If you're going to stay in the church, it's because someone is going to put some meat on your spiritual bones. That's not, that's not rocket science. It's just true. So what do we teach them? What do we teach them? And by the way, that last reference of the Sabbath, you can find that in Exodus chapter 31. It was clearly a law between God and Israel. Not the church, Israel and, the, and, and God. But the principal issue here is how do we keep these Gentiles that have, came, that have come in. The apostles who were very strong in the imprint and the impression they left in leadership in the early church, even they came to blows about it. I mean, one of them confronted the other, Peter and Paul, about the fact that he was embarrassed to sit with the Gentiles when the Jews were in the house. And Paul just said, I'm having none of that, boy. What, what are you talking about? And he goes to Peter, the man that brought the message on the day of Pentecost, and he said, are you kidding me? You get up and tell us to live a certain way, and when these Gentiles walk in, you leave them? Now, the Bible tells us Paul was small in stature, but he was big in spirit. We might have called him, him the man with a small man syndrome today, but you didn't say that about him because his big man impression was Holy Ghost fire. It was Holy Ghost fueled. What are we going to teach them? You can't teach them the law. God does not expect them to follow the law, just like God doesn't expect the bride of Christ to follow the law by jot and by tittle. No, he does not. Letter of it, the spirit of it, the shadow of it, possibly, but that's for another day. Bible said John 1:17, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Not trying to put the law down because it wasn't for the law, we wouldn't have the grace covenant. It led us to this day. John, Paul said rather in 2 Corinthians 3 that the letter or the law kills. It never offered hope in how to get out of the rut we're in. It just gave me momentary satisfaction. I could go and offer a sacrifice, and for the moment I'm right with God again. What a burden. What a burden. And so here comes, here comes grace in human form. Hallelujah. The letter killeth, but the Spirit gives life. Aren't you glad that when you come to know the Lord in New Testament salvation, in new birth, aren't you glad that every time you mess up, you don't have to go through the same ritual? You don't have to go back and get a turtle dove or a pigeon or a bullock and spread its blood. But that is why in your New Testament, from Romans to Jude, in the epistles, the letters to the body... Over 40 times, 42 to be exact. You ever hear those people quote things on the radio? I, details just stick to me sometimes. And you hear someone talking about, uh, I don't know, what's in the news lately? Heaven forbid, these mass shootings and all that kind of stuff. But, or it could be any subject. Um, the spread of a virus or something. And you'll hear some 
supposed brainiac on the subject go, over 43 cases have been developed. And I go, what does over 43 mean? Why don't you just say it's 44? What does that mean? Well, over 40, better yet, 42 times in your New Testament epistles, Paul and other writers use the word repent or a derivative of the word. So that's telling me, once I'm born again, I don't have to go back and get the priest to show up on, on the holy day and kill a pigeon or offer a bullock or get a lamb, but I have to keep my life in tune with God by simply saying, oops, I goofed up, God. In sincerity, in sincerity, and I repent, I turn away from that again. Brother, we should be so thankful for that because some of us, I'm in, the, I'm in the front of the line, all right? I'm in the front of the line. Some of us have apologized to God a thousand and one times along the way saying, God, I told you I wouldn't do that again, but I did it again. I told you I'd, I'm sorry for doing that, but I did it anyway. That's the grace of God that bringeth salvation that has appeared to all men. Heaven help us to never take it for granted, though, to where we can just say, oh, God gets it. You know, I'm sorry. Hey, hey, sorry, Jesus, you get it. That's not what the Bible preaches. <clears throat> but the letter kills, the spirit gives life. Gives life. And so what we do in the body of Christ, we attempt to do this anyway, is if you're born again of water and spirit, we try to teach you. That's why it's important to come to church regularly. I, I get it. Look, I'm not picking on nobody. I, you, I've been here long enough. I shouldn't have to do all this backtracking. But some people get sick. Some people have jobs. I get it. Take for granted that I know that. Would you please? But I'm talking about people who just find reasons to miss because line is built upon line. Precept is built upon precept. Here a little and there a little. And teaching puts meat on your spiritual bones. Preaching adds to Wednesday night, which added to last Sunday, which added to last month. So what we do or attempt to do is put the epistles in your walk with God. We, we try to talk to you about Romans, what, what Galatians meant and what Ephesians was trying to say and what Philippians' point was, all the above. The problem in this story today, though, is this. There were no epistles written yet. They couldn't say, all right, everybody in this room, turn to the, the epistle of James with me. We'll talk about that. They weren't written yet. So you've got this big community coming together, having revival, and you've got a few leaders inside saying, now what do we do? What do we teach them? give you this little tidbit on people that uh, you're, you're trying to teach someone in your family, you're trying to teach someone in, on your job, um, chances are very good, very good, if they're not in the kingdom of God yet, not born again, no matter what your level of biblical knowledge is, chances are real good, your knowledge is greater than theirs, so teach them what you know. You don't have to have Brother Playo come show up, Brother Stacy show up. Teach them what you know. And if they ask questions that you don't know the answer to, don't just try to walk it through it, fake it. 
I, I deplore fakes. You don't know, you don't know. But I know who I can ask. There, there's a chain of command that I can just start tapping into. And sisters, you know this. I don't have to remind you of this. But sisters, if you're teaching someone in your, in your family, your friendship, your circle of, of influence, and, and ladies have questions that only ladies have, don't, don't come to Brother Playa with them. Don't come to Brother Hull with them. Don't, you go to Sister Herring with them, Sister Playa with them. That's just common sense, isn't it? That's just common sense. The problem again here is you got all these hungry babes now. They're at the altar. They want to grow. And the leadership doesn't know what to teach them. Hallelujah. Here's something that was told me years ago, and I know you've heard it as well. Teach them what you know. But the greatest teacher you possess, the greatest influence you have over people that you're trying to lead to the Lord is your lifestyle. If I put off a, uh, a vibe that church is hit and miss, that's what my converts are going to come into the kingdom believing. If I put off a vibe that, mm, pastor, mm, sometimes he's on, sometimes he's not. And, you know, I love him if he's on and mm, if he's off. If you put that vibe out, your converts are going to have that vibe. And if you're like, eh, I, you know, I would pay my tithes, but Pastor Henning lives too good. So we'll talk about that at a, mo at a greater, another time, convert. Guess what? Your converts are going to be, they're going to be diseased with that type of thinking as they try to navigate life in the kingdom. Now that is about right. That's exactly right. Second Corinthians 3 verse 2, the apostle Paul, he gave us some real meat to put on the bone. He said, you, his converts, are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. Paul said, my life is showing through your testimony. My choices are on display in your lifestyle. I don't know where to take them because when I go to thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, the Gentiles are going, that's not about me. So Paul is saying this, watch how I live. Follow me, you don't have this. You don't have this, but he said 11, 1, 1 Corinthians, follow me as I follow the Lord. And another very powerful little rib-sticking piece of meat in the New Testament is 1 Corinthians 8, 3. If any man loves God, the same is known. So if you don't have anything else to teach them in the moment, teach them by how you live. One thing we should never be for our own soul's sake, but especially for our, our influence or our testimony, is one thing in church and another out there. It takes a convert about half a second to pick up on that. Wait a second. You are all holy in church and out here. You're talking just like we are, drinking what we drink, and 
It takes a, I don't want that. If you're, if you're trying to win me, I already got that. I already have that. The crux of the problem, though, the centerpiece, the keynote, the root, going to get quiet now, is these strong men with a calling on their life, these strong centerpieces of the body, Peter, the Paul, the James, the Johns, the Matthew, the Mark, the Lukes, the Thaddeus, the Thomas, the James, the Less, James the Less. The big problem was coming to the surface in Jerusalem in Acts 15. It wasn't CNN-type leading news racism, but these people had spiritual racism falling off of them at every, from every pore. They had spiritual, judgmental, racist thoughts about anybody trying to impede their religious circles. <laughs> you would not think that people that are that in tune with God, people that, that familiar with hearing the voice of God, could look at another man outside of the commonwealth of Israel and say, Psh, you don't belong in this circle. That's what was going on here. There is never a reason, in my opinion, there is never an excuse, in my opinion, there is never justification, in my opinion, to look down on any human being the color of their skin, their place in society, their family situation, their financial situation, their educational situation, and certainly no reason to look down people on their spiritual situation. I don't know who's looking on Facebook, and I don't really care, but I know this. I have been licensed in an organization for decades. And a lot of those people that nurtured me and taught me, they were so spiritually racist, it was pathetic. Don't get me wrong, brother. I'm going to stand for truth in spite of who walks the other way. I'm going to stand for one God, Jesus' name, Acts 2.38, salvation, holy living, separation from the world, no matter who walks away. But we'd be, we'd be less than intelligent to think that because people do not have your personal relationship with God, they don't belong in the body. You, you've got to get over that, all right? That's what was the problem here in the, in the book of Acts. They thought, oh, the Baptists don't belong here. The Catholics don't belong here. The Methodists don't belong. Let me tell you, they deserve to hear truth just like you heard the truth one day. Bring them in. The more, the merrier. And I referenced this earlier, but if you want to do, you want to check it out, see if I'm telling you the truth. In Galatians chapter 2 is where Paul scolds Peter for his, his situational lack of ethics. Amen. And it was that, isn't it funny that it was that same Peter 
that same Peter in Acts 11, he just didn't get the point when he was first taught. He's, he's sleeping. He has this dream, this vision. And there's a sheet coming down from heaven. And on the four corners of the sheet, being suspended from there, and all kind of animals in that sheet. And a voice says to Peter, rise, Peter, slay and eat. And Peter said, what? Do you know who I am? You know my religious background? Nothing will stop revival faster in its tracks than people who think they're better than other people in society. You talk about the tradition of your fathers? No wonder that's been on my mind all week. Jesus said, don't fill that vat up. Just because daddy was prejudiced doesn't mean you should be prejudiced. Just because you, your mom had something against every other religious movement doesn't mean you should be so closed-minded. Again, I say, I'm standing for truth. I'm not compromising anything. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Someone said, and I quote, this is not me, I'm borrowing it, I'm quoting it. <clears throat> when people display ignorance through racism or doing another man wrong, it's really not a skin problem, it's a sin problem, unquote. It's a sin problem. You know, your little preacher Paul gets up there, and he's, he's rowing upstream, man. I mean, the hierarchy that put him in his place, so to speak, position, promoted him in Jerusalem. He's turning on them now. This church in Jerusalem is growing so fast. This Gentile situation now needs to be handled. Acts 15, we're not going to go through all these scriptures, but if you're taking notes, in Acts 15, verse 7 through 11, they turned to Peter, the racist, in his, in his early, in early days and say, what do we do with all these people? We've got nothing to teach them. What, what do we do? Peter said, I don't know. I don't know. It's in your Bible, Acts 15, 7 through 11. Peter's like, uh. you got to appreciate his honesty, though. Nothing worse than someone trying to say, well, what I would do is stack the chairs here and stop it. Just say you don't know. Now, Acts 15 and 12, even the great apostle Paul cannot find the solution. But Acts 15, verse 13, the man whose skin was thicker than we could even express, the man who pastored this 100,000 converts at Jerusalem, James, says, I think we just need to start back at ground level. Let's get back to the basics with getting these people. They need teaching. They need fundamentals. They need foundation. We shouldn't just throw them back out in the world or back out in the religious system. I don't know why, but I'm just going to offer this prompting of the Lord today. If people come out of religious systems and they're seeking to you for spiritual guidance, don't, don't be pulled into the trap of trying to disprove everything they used to live in. 
I tell our preachers, don't get up here and beat on everything that's wrong about the religious world. Tell our people what's right about this truth that we live and we love. Hello, somebody. And I'm feeling it even if you aren't today. I don't believe we have the time to waste to get up here and shoot people's ideas down. Let's just take that precious time and communicate what's valuable about how we're living today. The truth we live by, promises of God's word. So don't get pulled down that, that hole, that trail. If they just want to argue about what they've come out of or trying to come out of, don't go down there. Be wiser than that. Tell them what's right about the truth you love. Peter can't solve it. Paul can't fix it. James steps up and he says, I got a message for a very sensitive moment. Sometimes if you don't make the right decision in sensitive moments, it can change the tide of all the direction of life you've tried to build. You know that. I said, sometimes if we don't make the right decision at sensitive moments, we can change things, and it might seem good in the moment, but before that river gets to its end, it's going to go a direction we may not want it to go. God, I don't know how to navigate this situation. I flat out do not have an answer for them, much less for me. I'm just saying, give me wisdom, God. Give me counsel, God. Speak to my heart, Lord. Show me what I need to do because I plainly don't know what to do. He already knows I don't know anyway. James said, I've got a message for a sensitive moment, and I'm going to go back to square one. I'm not going to try to make law professors out of them. I'm taking them back to square one. And this is the, not just the gist, but it's the, it's the entirety also of his sensitive moment message, his simplistic approach toward teaching all these new converts. He said, we're going to start right here. No idols. I'm in your Bible, by the way. I'm, this is not out of an Archie comic book. I'm in your Bible right now. He said, first thing, teach them, no idols. Go through your house and clean up all the junk. That's what he was saying. Get rid of all the things that you look to for advice or counsel or wisdom or insight. Get rid of all these idols, things that take the place of the one true voice James said, we start with idols. Oh, I wish someone would go there with me emotionally today. Think about that. If we could just settle in our mind to get rid of all the junk that we idolize, that we lift up in places where it should not be lifted up to. Like my will, above everybody, anybody, all bodies, my will. No idols. Me, no idols. A lot of wisdom in this man's sermon right here. Not me, but James. No idols. We're on, we're on, we're on the track to success if we can deal with the idols in our life. Well, I don't have any statues or things I bow down to in my house. Come on, you're smarter than that. You know what. 
No idols, James said. Second thing he said, no immorality. Oh, it's going to get quiet. No immorality. He dealt with the idols. Clean up your home. No immorality. Now clean up your heart. Start with the outward things in your home that influence you every day. Start with the things. I'm, I'm being this simple, but I know it was deep, deeper than that. Start with the things you had hanging on your walls or things you put in your pocket before you walk out the door or things you've got in your car, things you've got in your, uh, on, on, in your warehouse. Or, or Start with things that are outward. Start with, start with idols. And then let's go inside. I wonder why Peter didn't get this. I wonder why Paul didn't have that. I'm going to say this just like I was in my friend's pulpit in Life Church that I communicate with every day. Sometimes God will talk to your pastor when he won't talk to the assistant pastor. No reflection, sir. That's a good man right there. And he won't talk to the third man, and that's a good man right there. I don't, I don't care if you pat. Look at, oh, listen. It is 100% true. And listen, after 32 years of pastoring, I don't need your validation. I'm just telling you by experience. I'm telling you by experience. The reason God keeps things secret sometimes is because it needs to stay between the throne, the issue, and the person they look to for counsel in life. I'm not telling you he's not capable. That's a good man right there. That's a, here's a man I trust with my life right there. Yeah. Yeah. We're driving down the road, and there's a fox runs out in the, in the ditch, and he hands me a shotgun while we're moving. Hey. Other side of Toke. Boom. All, all the way from Toke. <whistles> Hole in my windshield. You folks better pray for me, all right? I, I, just put, I just put three things together. That, and we were chasing ptarmigan one day up on top of Baldy. Not your enemies you got to worry about sometimes. Joking. I'm joking with these guys. These guys know I love them. And Brother Plow and I crashed this little horizon up on top of the mountain, flushed this flock of ptarmigan. We shoot, I don't know, we maybe got a couple of them. And there was a basin between us or, or on the other side. And they took off. Some went down the basin. Some landed on the ridge on the other side. And so I just fired up that little tundra. And I went on the other side. And I, I, I should have done my due diligence and check where he's at. But I get over there and kill the skidoo. And I'm pulling off my rifle. And I hear, zing, zing. The ptarmigan were on that ridge. And so were the bullets coming at me. But I, had, I, joined, I joined the crowd recently, obviously, by discharging a 338 sitting right next to me in my Jeep. You, you guys need to pray for me, I'm telling you, all right?
a feeling that makes the memories brand new. Hey, how do I get on these things? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I got to show you a video after church that he sent, he's, that he sent me yesterday. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate that, sis. A person should never feel slighted or offended when, when, I, when I make a statement like I did that God will talk to the pulpit when he may not. He may not even talk to the music leader, but he'll talk to the pastor about the music team. That's not, I'm not, that's not like, see, I'm bigger than you. You've got to understand, the, it's, it's processes that God uses. But somehow, but somehow, James got it. Let's deal externally, and then let's deal internally. Let's deal with your idols, and let's deal with your moral situations. Now, we're all adults in here. Everybody knows what it means to be immoral. You don't need no dictionary explanation. We all know that. Isn't it good to know this, though, that even if you can't access chapter and verse, if you can just control your heart... If you will just control your heart. He says, no idols, no immorality, and, and so fitting. So fitting. He said, the third thing I want us to teach these new converts, no idols, no immorality, no bloodshed. So when you're done dealing with you, externally and internally, keep your hands off everybody else. I'm unhappy. I'm unhappy with my life. I'm unhappy. And, and, and look, science tells us this. I've been guilty of it. Many of you have. Uh, but certainly I've been guilty of it. When I'm frustrated with my own life, sometimes I take it out on other people. I don't like doing that. The older I get, the more I, do, I despise myself when I do that because I'm frustrated inside. And I tell, my, you know, I tell myself, be better than that, be bigger than that, be smarter than that, be wiser than that. And yet, you know, desperation meets opportunity, and boom, I take it out on. So no idols, no immorality, and no bloodshed. Hey, it's hard enough to live for God. As a believer, sometimes, alone, but certainly more difficult if I start casting stones at you and making you come up to my image. Keep your hands off people. Keep your hands off their emotions. Keep your hands off their thoughts. And listen, if you counsel people, you better, you better be the pastor. You better be careful. Because sometimes people put me back, they set me back three steps by counseling people that are at a, a strong, they're at a, uh, a sensitive place in their life. And even best friends counsel, they still don't know what they think they know. Do you no, no, I'm preaching, I don't mean you when I say you, but do, do people really think? People really think. 
that when they go behind closed doors and they counsel with Sister Herring or myself, do other people really think that they aren't, for the most part, exposing their heart in there? People shed tears in there and get real and they get transparent in there. So because your best buddy in the house confides in you to do something, you know, outlandish, and you think, well, pastor just might not do this because he just doesn't understand. It's, it's the person recommending that kind of stuff that doesn't understand. Because trying to, I'm trying to keep this positive today. No idols. No immorality. No bloodshed. And, and with this ambition that they've uncovered in the wisdom of James, the elders get together and they send Paul and Barnabas to Antioch to preach. And you Bible um, scholars know that Antioch means one thing. That's Acts 11.26 where they first got their badge of identification. They were first called Christians at Antioch, Christ-like. That's where Paul was going to preach, and Paul was going to check up on them. I hope you're not bored, because I need about 10 more minutes here. I'm trying to make some, trying to put some meat on our bones. And it brings us all the way back full circle to the text we took this morning. Paul says, okay, I remember praying little Johnny through. Do you remember bringing in the, the Jones family? And they all prayed through. Let's go back and check on little Johnny and the Jones family and the Thompsons. and, and on. Let's go check on them and make sure that they're getting what they need. Brother Michael Berge, I have baptized, I don't know how many hundreds of people I've baptized over the years. And some of them I immediately regret. Because they fooled me. They tricked me into believing they were sincere. And I don't see him again. I, I'm not dumb enough to realize life doesn't get in the way and the devil doesn't try to intercept the plan of God. I know that. But also, I, I'm taking for granted, you give me the space. To, I contact those people. I chase those people. I don't just push them out in the ocean and say, survive. I'm after them. So Paul says, let's go back and make sure they haven't just drifted off into the wayside somewhere. Follow-up is so crucial. Barnabas says, okay, let's go. But I want to take Mark. He's an upstart. He's coming up in our wings and under our shadow, under our wings and in our shadow. I want to take Mark with me. Paul says, not a chance. Now, Why in Acts 13, or why, and I'll tell you, in Acts 13, those sorcerers, those witchcraft-practicing magicians, they caused Paul so many problems. And in the middle of that disruption against the will of God being carried out in Paul's ministry, Mark says, I'm out of here! I can't handle the pressure. I'm gone. You know, you, you, won't, you won't too quickly forget people that bail on you 
when you need, when people are pressuring you and causing trouble in your life, and people yesterday that were your friend, but today you can't find them, it takes a while to forget those people. You know what I mean? It takes a while. When they've got the lifeline in their hand, and you're drowning, and they're like caught up in everything else, you're like, hello? Paul is saying, I'll go. There's need for it. But I'm not going if you take Mark. Is it all right if preachers just be people? Since when did they grow angel wings on their back? They're just people. And the Bible says in your book of Acts that Mark wouldn't even go on to the next place of revival. We read that. Mark wouldn't even go to the next place. Free from the apparent pressure, let's go to another city. And Mark says, mm, i got to have some space right now. Mark, that has a gospel in your Bible. See, Paul, Brother Colin, doesn't want to take a quitter into the lion's den with him. Can you blame him? I need all the help I can get, Brother Mike. And I just, particularly, Paul would think like this. I don't want you to support me when it gives you crowd influence. Oh, isn't he really behind the pastor? And then the crowd goes home, and someone stays and dumps a bunch of junk on the pastor. You're like, ooh, I'm out of here, pastor. That's where Paul was. Here's the, here's the issue to me that I still can't get my mind wrapped around completely. Paul was upset with Mark for abandoning him who wouldn't be. But Barnabas knows the track record, knows the church history, knows the problem. He was Paul's mate. And Barnabas says, let's take him. He failed us yesterday. Let's give him another try. He was a young man. He made a mistake. He was, it was a young woman. She made a mistake. They were young in their relationship. They made mistakes. What good is it going to do to sit around and start causing bloodshed and throwing stones and, and, and demanding explanations? Huh? James knew what he was doing. Don't worship idols. Don't be immoral. And don't be throwing rocks at people. And here's Paul saying, no, I about died because of his cowardice. Is he wrong? No, he's not wrong. But Barnabas says, let's give him another try. Here's a powerful scripture, though, in Proverbs 25. This is so powerful. This is so true. <laughs> Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble, not very dependable. You go down, to, you bite, and oh, you forgot. Broken tooth there, or your foot. Every time you step on it, you're reminded of that injury. Every time Paul prayed, he might have thought about Mark's cowardice. Every time he dealt with a spirit in the congregation or an attitude in a believer or a family trouble, 
he might have thought, yeah, and marched, took the high road. Now, look, young men can't expect to have the wisdom of an older man. You can't expect your kids to have the wisdom you have at your age, Brother Fail. Can't do it. They haven't lived as long as you. Hard knocks, teaches. Paul just says, don't fail me now when I need you the most. Barnabas is saying, maybe he'll do better this time. Here's my question for you. Can two people be right at the same time even though they completely disagree? Completely disagree. Can they both be right? I'm not a marriage counselor, but I want to tell somebody this today. Just because we get the last word doesn't mean we're right. Sometimes wisdom in a relationship says, you know, we're getting nowhere. I'm just not going to even, I'm not even going to retaliate. Can two people be right even though they're going completely opposite directions? Yes. How, can Paul be upset and rightly so and Barnabas also be right in saying, let's give him another shot? Yeah. They're both right. They're both right. Acts 15, 39, I've got to fly. I promise you, I'm going to be done momentarily. Contention was so sharp between them, Paul said, I'm going this way, you go that way. I don't want Mark in my company. A man of, that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Get him out of my life. Paul takes Silas. And you know what the next thing Paul encounters? He's thrown into a Philippian jail. Boom. It could very well be that God used Paul's apprehension because he knew where Paul was headed. God used his apprehension of bringing the, in, the, the timid Mark because he knew he was headed to a Philippian jail cell. Anybody, are you with me this morning at all? And so he's not going to put Mark there because Paul needs someone stronger than Mark in the moment. He needs somebody that at midnight is going to start praising the Lord with him. Even though all kind of hell's going on. God wants somebody with Paul that's got some backbone and grit and stick to itness. See, conflict is one thing. How to handle conflict is another thing altogether. Someone said, and I quote, the art of being wise is knowing what to overlook. How about 1911 Proverbs, Amplify. God, or good sense, pardon me, makes, good sense makes a man restrain his anger. And it is his glory to overlook a transgression or an offense. Just because they're wrong doesn't mean I have to jump on it and expose it every time. Well, we, we have perfect standards in our relationship. Hogwash. How long have you been married? Three hours? Lower your standards because life is real. Life is real. Well, someone said, and I quote again to react requires no intelligence, only instinct. But to respond takes thought and wisdom. Unquote. Here's my suggestion. And I'm doing this on faith. I'm doing this as just a suggestion. 
Stop blaming. The old quote was, throw up, you know, give up your blame list. It's not worth it. Everything I blame you over, I'm guilty of just as much in another way. Jonah was a successful evangelist, and he hated his converts. Successful evangelist, and he hated the people that believed his message. He was obviously persuasive. He was obviously uh, organized because when he preached, the whole town repented. And he got mad because God didn't kill him. Conflict resolution requires two mature, rational minds looking for an answer. To resolve conflict, it takes two rational... Why am I preaching this today? Two rational minds. You're meddling, Pastor. That's not for you to judge. Talk to God. He told me to preach this. wasn't even on my thoughts when I walked in at 7 a.m. this morning. Oh, Lordy. And someone said, not me, but someone else. After all, it's what you learn after you know it all that matters anyway. The greatest value, I'm just offering a few quotes for you as, I, as I'm cooling off here. The greatest value in life is not what you have, but it is what you become. Because when you refuse to be better, you cease to be good. Now, if I go way down the road, like 12 years later, in Mark chapter 4, Paul speaks well of Mark. Funny how time can change things. Colossians 4.10, please. <laughs> Here Paul bragging on him. Been 12 years, minimum 12 years. Time can heal things. It, it's very, very narrow-minded of me to think the the high or low I'm feeling now is how it's going to stay forever. It, it's in, it's wrong. How, how many of you, all of us, after you, you make a judgment call, you make a decision about something, and a little time goes by and you go, what was I thinking there anyway? That's what's going on with Brother Paul right here. Paul is realizing, you know what, the boy's growing up. He becomes priceless and even valuable to the, to the ministry. Right before Paul dies, 2 Timothy 4.11, he sends for Mark. He sends for Mark. How about that, huh? He not only sends, but he says, right now he's profitable to the ministry. So I leave this with you. Did Paul change or did Mark change? Pastor, I'm aghast that there would be conflict in the church. Are you kidding me, people? I, I, I used to um, write schedules. The last retail store, I, well, not the last one I managed, but one of them near the end of my retail um, career, I would write just the grocery department. I would write a schedule for over, over 50 names. 
maybe 51. Forget it. Forget it. And I would be so stressed out. Every Friday was schedule day because the bulletin board was pasted. I can't work Friday. I have to be off by 2. I can't come before 2.30. My kids have soccer, so I must be off by 4.15. 50, 50 more people. Everybody, oh, I want a job. And I, if you make this person happy, you're going to make that person mad. And if you make this person happy, that lady's going to be mad. And if you make that lady happy, the, the, her husband calls you up, you know. I kid you not. God knows I'm telling you the truth. I would leave the parking lot, Brother Rick, in that particular job. And Friday, I was getting paid good money. Good money. Top of tier retail money. And I would leave. And sometimes I would not get out of the parking lot. And I would stop, open my door, and vomit on the parking lot. If that happened once, it happened 25 times. Stress. change. People can change. Some of those people that caused me so much stress in that store, I've seen them since then. Now, we're not in that pressurized vacuum anymore, but they, you know, they just, they're just cordial. And I often think, I used to really hate you, you know. <laughs> you made my life miserable. I don't often think that. Extract that one word. I do think that occasionally. But I need to change. And thank God when Jesus is involved, Mark's can change, Barnabas's can change, Paul's can change. Just because they're giving you a hard time today, don't, don't just discard everything that's good. They're still souls. They may not belong like Moses belonged, but they're souls. They're important. Give me my title one more time, please, sis. And so Paul said, here's what we're going to go do. We're going to encourage the church. That's not only my job, folks, brother, brother and sister, that's your job too. God bless you this morning. Let's stand. Appreciate your loving kindness, Lord, today. Appreciate your helping hand today, Lord. Appreciate that firm direction you've placed our steps to follow. Appreciate your mercy and loving kindness, God. Appreciate the word of God quickening our soul, strengthening our steps and renewing our mind. I appreciate precious men and women in the house today, this morning, Lord. Thank you for their patience. Thank you for their strength in the kingdom. Thank you for the hope that they provide and that they create, Lord, in situations of life. Thank you for their optimism. Thank you for the radiance of the Holy Ghost that they possess. Thank you for the mercy, God, that they live by. Thank you for the standards of compassion that they adapt to, Lord. Thank you for the power of your word, God, that they, they voluntarily follow. I pray a blessing upon every home, every mom, every dad, every son, every daughter. 
every grandparent, grandchild, great-grandparent, great-grandkids. A blessing of your word, God. A blessing of encouragement. A blessing of renewing. A blessing of restoration. A blessing of hope. A blessing of desire. A blessing, God, that helps me to see more clearly where I'm going and what I should be doing. What I'm involved in. Now, I don't apologize for anything, but I'm just going to let you into my world for another 30 seconds. I came out of there asking Sister Dakota about the notes I'd given her for a message about don't cut the tree down. And I stood right there beginning to speak, and I could not find those notes. So I'm just going to believe that God orchestrated today by the power of the Holy Ghost. Because, because I needed it. Because I needed it. Hallelujah. We don't have enough time to shoot people down. Let's encourage one another in the Lord.